The Incomparable Number 370 September 2017 Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Uh, this is going to be a little uh, timely, a little weird, a little strange. So as we're recording this, it's just been a day or two since the, uh, the, the Lucasfilm, the Star Wars brain trust, announced that the director of Star Wars Episode Nine, not the episode that's coming out later this year, but the one after that, is not going to be who we thought it was. We thought it was going to be the talented director of such works as Jurassic World, uh, which if you've seen it, I'm just going to say is really bad, (laughs) like (laughs) epically bad. Um, uh, Colin Trevorrow has been uh, relieved of his duties. Perhaps it was mutual. I think it was a Hollywood mutual thing where they didn't agree because he wanted to do things and Lucasfilm uh, did not want to do those things. And so he was sent away and they don't have a director for the ninth episode of Star Wars. And we thought, hey, you know, it would be a really stupid idea. What if we did a draft of potential directors for the next Star Wars movie? And we could also maybe <laughs> along the way talk about things that were more serious about the challenge of uh, creativity and finding good matches in these giant franchise machines that have their own writers rooms and producers and things like that. Uh, joining me to talk about and draft things of directors for Lucasfilm. We're helping, we're really helping them. This is like a love letter to Kathy Kennedy and everybody else working at Lucasfilm. Are the following, Dan Morin is here. Hello, Dan. Uh, that's not how the force works, Jason. Uh, Guy English is also here. Hi, Guy. Hello. Brian Hamilton joins us as well. Brian, hello. Han shot first, but then they did reshoots later. Oh. David J. Lore. Hi, everybody at Lucasfilm. <laughs> and we are also joined through the magic of editing by robot monty ashley hello this is robo monty with my star wars director's draft picks and robot serenity caldwell Beep, boop, 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 boop. hi jason hi ben hi guy <laughs> uh all right so i have generated a semi-random draft order uh, which is going to be uh the robo picks followed by dan guy david and Brian, and then me, because I'm always last, because I am your host, and it is a courteous thing for a host to do to agree to pick last in a draft. For those who have never hosted a draft before, it's the courteous thing to do. Uh, before we get there, though, I wanted to say, we would, I gave some guidelines out about this, because what I... I was concerned that this was this draft was going to end up being um, just a list of reasonable selections, and I thought that might be ridiculous. <laughs> that we ought to have some unreasonable selections in a draft too, especially given that our chat room was full of them. So I've asked my draftees. I'm not going to check their work on this, but I've asked them to consider making a safe selection, a clever selection, a ridiculous selection, and an impossible selection. However, they choose to <laughs> interpret those four uh, items. They can choose them in any order they want and if they break the rules i don't really care quite frankly it's fine to start it off i'm going to allow robo serenity caldwell to take perhaps the most obvious name off the board which is patty jenkins director of wonder woman everybody's favorite big blockbuster action movie from this year yeah so my safe quote unquote to to use jason's wording selection is patty jenkins uh I know she's committed to Wonder Woman too, so there might be that that little obstacle in her way. Uh, but we've seen directors who are committed to other big projects before step aside and say, 
Oh, hey. Hi, Star Wars. Uh, when do you get a chance to do, to have the option to direct a, a new Star Wars movie? Uh, and the answer is uh, very rarely, if never. Uh, so Patty Jenkins, just for like, I'm going to lay out my three big reasons why Patty Jenkins deserves, deserves to take the Star Wars mantle. Um, and chief on that list is that Patty J knows how to shoot conflict in a smart human way on a superhero, uh, you know, just larger than life scale. One of the things I love about Wonder Woman is just how textured it is. It's a, it feels like a very real film aside from, you know, all of the superhero antics and shooting bullets at, 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 you know, a woman who can, withstand them with her with her shields uh it's the interactions between the characters are very real and very warm and you get a sense of friendship and kinship between all of the main cast and that is something that star wars desperately needs to hold on to the first episode did or the first episode of this new trilogy i should say did an excellent job at building up the friendships uh, between you know ray and finn um and finn and poe uh and of course the existing cast um and it did it in such a lovely human way that i want to see a director who can really tackle that and um do it well while still being able to work in a big budget atmosphere you know, um, I think that's uh, that's one thing to say about Star Wars's prior uh, director for Episode Nine is that uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, Colin Trevorrow's first film, was actually very similar in a way in that it was a very uh, it was a film that had a lot of heart and a lot of character to it. And I I can just guessing I'm thinking that's what attracted Kathleen Kennedy is the fact that again this this story, no matter how galactic its uh, its appearances is about these people living in living in a sometimes crazy world um, and how they work with each other and how they, you know, they find themselves in a way. Um, and so I look at safety, not guaranteed. And I'm like, yeah, of course, Colin Trevor was a great choice, but then you drop him in the multi-million dollar budget of a movie like, you know, Jurassic park. Uh, and you kind of see where he starts to go awry, where the, the characters become less important than the, the shiny and the explosions and the nonsensical plot developments. Uh, and I'm, that's, that's my guess about where that whole thing broke down. So I look to somebody like Patty Jenkins as somebody who's very, very good at the, the small moments, but knows how to make them work in a larger scale. Uh, will she probably be doing Wonder Woman 2 and not really have time for Star Wars? Yeah, probably. But I I still think that, you know, a, a director of her caliber and her smarts, um, this is, I mean, it's the biggest property in the world. And even, even if they were to offer it to her, I think, uh, like the fellow panelists said, it would be a great negotiating tactic uh, for, uh, <laughs> for her to get more money from the Warner Brothers people for, uh, for Wonder Woman 2. She deserves it. She is, a, she is an incredible, incredible director, and I cannot wait to see what she does next. But I hope it's Star Wars. I hope it's Star Wars. I love her. I think she'd do a great job, but I think I'd rather see Wonder Woman 2. I agree. Yeah. She was on my, my list as well. I would give a thumbs up, but something tells me 
As she's probably involved and she's committed. She's done a great job with the first movie in that franchise, so she should get a, a second crack at it. I agree she should. But what if what if they're leaving her twisting? What if there's some uh what if there's mm, an opening there good for, bargaining their, chip. for there to there's recruit that. her away for Star Wars? Yeah, Maybe? I heard they were bargaining about it. And I mean, if Star Wars comes knocking, well, she's worth a fortune at that point. So yeah. good for her. She well deserved. She's on my extended list. All right. I, I figured she would get picked, but Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't in my top list. So. All right, yeah. fair enough. I think I think that's that's one of those. Uh, um, I, 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 given how uh, well Wonder Woman has done, I think uh, I would even call Patty Jenkins a safe selection because she, she did so well with Wonder Woman that, of course, uh, directing one of these blockbusters would be would be logical. Yeah, she'd nail it. Yeah. All right, Robo Monty, come to life. I'm going to start with my safe pick. Yuan Wu Ping, who I'm probably mispronouncing, uh, he's a great fight coordinator. He did The Matrix. He's in a whole bunch of great Hong Kong movies. He also directs movies. He directed the sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which hardly anybody saw, but still, he directed it. He can direct movies, and he can direct amazing action sequences. So I propose that we have a Star Wars Episode Nine with a lot of amazing lightsaber fights. Like, we really lean into that and make this the best-looking Star Wars fight scene movie ever. All right, excellent pick, Robo Monty. Dan, yes. do you have a choice for us? I do have a choice. Man, there are a lot of choices on these lists. It's, it's a big field. Um, I'm going to pick someone. I, mean, I think this might snake somebody from somebody else, but I'm going to pick... Um, Lexi Alexander. Aha! Damn! <laughs> yeah, figured that might grab people. So, um, she is, I believe, Palestinian German American director, and a um, she's a trained. Well, she's like a world camp, a world champion in karate as well. Um, and she's directed a number of things, including Punisher Warzone, um, which is a film that I never saw, but like I gather has gotten kind of a cult reputation around it. Um, but she also directed um, several television episodes, including an episode of Arrow uh, back in 2015. Yeah, that's right, you jerk. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I'm 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 an Arrow fan, so I, I think she could do a very interesting job with it. She's hasn't done, I think, a lot of big movies since uh, punisher warzone is probably her biggest um feature film but it seems like you know why not she seems like she's done a lot of tv since then she's done an episode of supergirl as well so she's used to working in like genre flicks and you know it seems like we should if they're gonna pull a you know a guy like colin trevorrow out after directing essentially an indie film and a blockbuster before that maybe even before that blockbuster came out then you know why not give somebody else a chance um, of the female persuasion. I think that she could do an awesome job at it. I agree. I thought she, I think she'd do amazing, but, uh, she said she wouldn't want to do anything about, like, she's on my basically impossible selection because <laughs> she said that she wouldn't want anything to do with this kind of scale of movie because too much pressure and too much stress to do a certain thing that she probably doesn't feel like doing. And, and we should say also, since, since Moises is not on this, I, I'll say this for Moises, which is Moises would probably say like, oh, well, this person isn't going to do it because of this and this person, because he knows all this. I, I just want to be clear. We don't know anything about anyone yeah, oh yeah. or anything. Let's just be let's be clear up front. We have this this draft comes from a position of zero knowledge. I think the challenge here too is that like this is inherently a studio job, and what we've seen with the fact there have been so many changes made is essentially at the end of the day you got to toe the studio line, and there are a lot of directors who don't want to do that, 
right yeah. for for good reason right like there are a lot of directors who are like this is my artistic vision i want to make the film that i want to make and when you're working on a franchise like star wars you don't necessarily get to make the film you want to make yeah i i think that's one of the things that the overarching things i actually seriously wanted to talk about while we're drafting um director names is the challenge of doing any of this like we so we've seen it with marvel and we've definitely seen it with with star wars and i think dc has struggled with it too with the DC, the warner brothers dc movies this idea that you've got a um you've got a franchise that's bigger than any individual movie and so you end up with producers who are the creative force and you've got directors who are used to being the creative force and it seems like there are only a few ways that that works out and one of them is you're lucky and everybody agrees one of them is the director is happy to cede creative control to the to the studio who's and the brain trust that's behind it and i i guess the other way it works is the the studio just decides to give all of the um control over to the director and and uh and producers and say basically please save us which i think is basically what happened with the force awakens i think that was a a case where they were trying to get it off the ground and they wanted something solid and that felt like star wars and that jj abrams had uh had a, a group of people that he worked with and they could put it together and make it work um and I think that's what happened with Iron Man. I think that's what happened with the yeah. Avengers, actually, to a certain yeah. degree, is that they were like, Joss, we yeah. can just do it, make it happen. And he made it happen, and they got to be the beneficiary of that. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. There's, now there's like a framework in place where, you know, the producers are in charge. And I think, you know, in some ways, I look at the lists of these things and think you should probably go to someone like a TV director, except for the fact that they're they're not going to bring name brand recognition with them. But TV directors are used to kind of being you know work for well, hire that, yeah that's how it works in television report, right they report to producers exactly so like that's ideally you want someone like that who is good at working sort of for a director but you also on a big franchise you want the name draw right like you want a big name attached to it these franchises have become so much more outside of themselves that you know, honestly we're the only ones and the incomparable listeners hi incomparable listeners we're the only ones that really care about the directorial names attached to these giant movies that bring in billions of dollars a year and you know not the only ones but at the very least if they did the sensible thing and brought in tv directors to just make the best star wars movie possible i don't feel like most people would complain about it i mean one one series that's done this pretty well in recent years is the bond films where you have you have directors like martin campbell and michael apted and uh, sam mendes who are who are good on their own uh, and have made good films elsewhere but they're they're making pretty solid bond films and that's that's one where it really is the the producers running it. Um, I mean, I think they they gave Sam Mendes a little more creative control, but yeah, well, he won he won an Oscar, so I guess you know that that always helps. <laughs> Uh, you need a, you need a good fit, and you never know where it's going to come from. We talked about um, with something like Alexi Alexander; she comes from TV. But like, what 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 are the credits of the Russo brothers? Essentially, it's Community and Happy Endings, and they they have <laughs> turned out to be the best fit for Marvel post Joss mm-hmm. Whedon, right? That with with Winter Soldier, and then they they have gone on to make Civil War, and they're making the next two Avengers movies too. And I I think Winter Soldier is arguably the best marvel movie and that was yeah Yeah. it's a couple of it's a couple of of tv directors but they came in with a vision and um 
and they executed really well to the point where obviously the producers were very happy with them and said you will be if you mesh properly right you will be rewarded and and the Russo brothers definitely got rewarded at Mar- Marvel for for fitting in whereas in other cases you know the director comes and like uh, I, I suspect like Kenneth Branagh making Thor and then it was like well thank you for serving goodbye <laughs> right because he yeah, didn't right. come back didn't come back did not yet did not get invited back for no. the rest of that franchise there's something Syracuse has said that I'm going to bring up later whenever I do one of my picks that's like because there's going to be so many Star Wars movies take chances do smaller mm-hmm. directors that can do yep. these kinds of weird pieces that are able to you know fit cohesively somewhat but can still be you know Kenneth Branagh's movie in the MCU yeah. something like that I think though that with the ep- main Skywalker saga episodes they don't want to take chances right yeah. like that that is the the cash cow in the the the, the brand name and doing that with like you know the Han Solo movie even despite what happened there or you know an Obi-Wan movie or something like that is definitely plausible but if you're dealing with the 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 golden goose i feel like you do want you want someone with like salt that's why you brought in ron howard to run the han solo movie the the man is like a professional right through and through Hey, everybody. I want to take a break and tell you about our sponsor. This is a meal delivery service that I tried out and is pretty great. It's called HelloFresh. And the whole goal here is to make cooking more fun because the whole idea is you want to have a great experience, great ingredients. It's farm to box. And then the box is brought by a person in a uniform usually to your door. Uh, it's a couch to kitchen service because you get off your couch and you go into your kitchen and you make a meal and you feel great about it. And of course, it's a fork to tummy company too because you get to eat this delicious, healthy stuff. Cooking is more fun. You get a recipe kit. Uh, the ingredients are there. They're fresh ingredients. They're prepackaged. And you get a recipe that's easy to follow. And you get the whole experience. And your house smells great. The freshest ingredients are in the box, measured to the exact quantities. There's no food waste. There are new recipes every week. They've got different kinds of recipe uh, plans that you can go on. There's a classic box, a veggie box, a family box. You can order th- between three and five meals a week. And they can be designed for two or four people. So they can fit your life well, HelloFresh is now offering light fall meals and has just introduced breakfast options as well. Less than $10 a meal at HelloFresh. The ingredients that I got from HelloFresh were great. The meals were easy to put together, and they were a lot of fun to put together, too. We got three meals from HelloFresh. Um, so much fun. And then we got to feed our, our, our family with it, and uh, it was pretty great. And I'll tell you, nothing makes you feel more empowered as a... I'm not a trained cook, right? But uh, following their step-by-step instructions, we were able to make really great meals. And like I said, the house smelled great. There's cooking going on in that kitchen, and we didn't have to go to the store to shop, and we didn't have to paw through a bunch of recipes on the internet in order to find out what to make. For $30 off your first week of deliveries, go to HelloFresh.com and use this code INCOMPARABLE30 when you subscribe. INCOMPARABLE30. Thank you to HelloFresh for sponsoring The Incomparable. I'm sure conversations are going to break out through this, which is good. But right now, it's getting a little too intelligent. So we're going to go back to stupid picks with Guy. I didn't mean that guy. I, I just who knows. Oh, you whoever. did. Oh, you did. And okay. I got go for it. Check guy. this out. This is stupid like a fox. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> Damn it! That's a great choice. That is actually choice. Like I said, stupid like a fox. He he directed arguably. Well, certainly one of the best four Star Trek movies. <laughs> That's a different conversation. Uh, yeah, second but, best in, in my in my book, second best Star Trek movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't want to get into the pecking order of Star <laughs> no. Trek movies because that's, that's a, a Star that's Wars a episode anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's another reason why I picked him is because he's a Star Trek guy. But he's sure. direct good. He's directed good movies. He's done a lot of TV work. Uh, I looked him up. He's got like he's thirty-eight t- directing credits. He's done a ton of, of TV. He's done way yeah. more than you'd think. Like all kinds of TV in terms of just dropping somebody in and being good, like we were just saying. I think he'd do a terrific job. I think he knows how to work with the genre. He's been around a long time. I think he's uh, like if you look at First Contact, he's got an eye for. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty well that's done. A good that looking was movie. back in '96, and I'm sure he's got his chops worked out a little bit better since then. So I think he'd do an interesting job. It's still kind of a joke because it's hey, let's put a Star Trek guy in charge of Star Wars. That would never happen. <laughs> I know, I know, it would never happen. But you yeah. wanted a dumb pick. There's my dumb. Pick. Other than J.J. Abrams, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't even put two <laughs> like, and two together. Like yeah. literally, yeah. Uh, hey, I made these two Star Trek movies. How about I make the Star Wars movie? Okay, yes, that please, please do that. We, yeah. we want that. So to maybe be, it's not as crazy as I thought may, it was. But yeah, see, anyway. yeah, it's like a fox yeah. guy. It's like a fox. And, and I mean, yeah. the Thunderbirds movie. The directing is not the problem with that movie. He did a good job with that. Terrible script, terrible acting, but it looks great. All right, David, what's your director pick? Okay, I'm saving my crazy Star Trek one for later. Okay, Because I want to I, I pick this one before she gets taken off the board. Uh, she's already in the Disney family and making uh, a huge, big-budget science fiction movie, Ava DuVernay. She's on my list. <sighs> she's Sniped. making Wrinkle yep. in Time, yep. and I am so excited for that. Everything I've seen of it looks good. And she's someone who's, who started small, who can make different stories different films um and and i think she would bring an interesting point of view and i mean i just want to see a woman direct at least one of these right Mm -hmm. yeah but you know and and i i don't think they want to take chances on the skywalker saga i don't think they really want to take chances even on any of the others the way they're treating it i mean god bless ron howard um (laughs) yeah well, what Dan said, you know, they, they don't want to take chances on uh, the main franchise for sure. But, you know, even with the Han Solo movie, they kicked off Miller and Lord uh, for creative differences. That's a place where they could have taken a chance. I know. Exactly. You're right. I want to see them take more chances. They're not going to. They're not going to. It is all going to be an assembly line. Here's the thing. Is that always a bad thing? I'm not sure it is in the case where you're trying to produce something that is a consistent product. Right. I mean, it depends what you're shooting for, right? Like... The Marvel movies have succeeded, and I put that in, you know, quotes in terms of, like, financially and, like, from a cultural standpoint, like a pop culture standpoint. They've been very successful, and a large part of that is because of the the control exerted by the studio and not necessarily the directors behind the camera. Not to say the directors behind the camera haven't contributed a lot, but, like, the fact that they are... There's sort of a consistent tone running throughout the franchise, I think, is a big part of, like, you go into a Marvel movie, and you more or less know within, like you know, a rough margin of error, what you're going to get. And is that, you know, great art or like super inventive? Maybe not, but like you can get some pretty good works out of that. Like, you know, you can go all the way from, you know, Ant-Man to the Avengers and have all sorts of different stories in between. So there's, there's stuff to be gotten out of it, but yeah, it's not, they're definitely not like looking to necessarily reinvent the franchise, at least at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to see the Wim Wenders Star Wars film. (laughs) Werner Herzog. <laughs> They're still on the board for They're the impossible the and ridiculous selections. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to write that one down. Mm. 
<laughs> I think I think uh, Ava DuVernay is a, a very interesting choice. The fact that she is doing Wrinkle in Time suggests that she's obviously not opposed to the idea of a fairly, you know, a major major studio, big budget kind of production. Uh, so that's a that was definitely on my list too. And she's working just down down the block on the studio lot. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Brian, what do you have? Hi, I, I had an even safer pick than this, but uh, based on the way the conversation is going, I'm going to go a little bit out of my comfort zone. And uh, uh, going off of our conversation about the fact that they're not even taking chances on people like Miller and Lord, even though they may have creative differences with Kathy Kennedy and everything, I still... I'm bitter about Edgar Wright not getting to direct <laughs> Ant-Man. I yeah, want Edgar Wright to direct list. episode yep, nine. Of course, he was too. on all of our lists. But, you know, he directed one of the biggest movies of the year in Baby Driver and some of uh, you know, a lot of people's favorite movies ever with the Cornell tri- uh, trilogy and Scott Pilgrim. And then, of course, the cult hit space. You know, he has this visual language that can convey these uh, not complicated, but they, they can convey such uh, you know energy and pacing. They can. He is a director's director in a way that I don't think Star Wars and uh, even Marvel, because they kicked him off of Ant-Man, is comfortable with. So what I want to see more than anything is to at least give someone who we know can make a pretty damn good movie, <laughs> even though they may be you know out of the branding a little bit, to give them something small and something interesting to do and let them shine and make the best Star Wars movie ever. That's not quite Star Wars, but still like on brand enough that Kathy Kennedy's not going to freak out. Again, never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. Episode, not with Episode Nine, anyways. I don't know. I, I I actually think that that's a great out of the box selection. I think it's more likely never going to happen because he went through many years yeah, of exactly. torment that's, over Ant Man and then basically yeah. got kicked off the movie. That's, so that was my big argument is I don't think he's he has shown that he can make the movies he wants to make and I don't think he's willing to go into a situation where he has to do battle with a big studio to get his vision across like he'd be Maybe, great i love Ed Wright, the my same big studio yeah exactly my exactly I mean, my love for Edgar Wright is well documented but i yeah. <laughs> i find it extremely unlikely he would do an episode nine project much more likely he'd do an anthology film and even there i don't think he would do that either yeah he was on my extended list yeah uh when you think about all the you know apocryphal beautiful films that were never made like kubrick's napoleon and uh, yordowski's dune i feel like edgar wright's ant-man is up there and in every single instance it's a director clashing with a studio and I want someone to make good on that. And it's probably not going to be Star Wars, but I really, really want Edgar Wright to be involved with this whole massive saga somehow. So it's going to be um, Trash Compactor, a Star Wars story. And it's about, <laughs> it's about a um, taller, skinny guy, Simon Pegg, and a, and, a, and a more rotund guy, Nick Frost. And uh, they have to fix the trash compactors on the Death Star. Nobody tells me nothing. Someone, someone's got to do it. You won't believe what they find inside that trash compactor. But I'll just say that it sends them on a journey throughout the Death Star. That, uh, but the real, the real ticking time bomb is we know the Death Star is going to explode. Are they going to make it? Is the adventure going to take them off the Death Star in time? Or are they going to be one of those little sparks flying around after the Death Star blows up? So that, it's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in space? Exactly. We're directed by Edgar Wright. <laughs> I would Wright. totally watch. I would, directed I would write by Edgar that. Wright, yeah. I would actually, space I Cornetto. swear to God, I would watch that. Yeah. Right? That's my, that's my pitch. But I, I actually think he would do a, a, a good job on Episode Nine. but I think that he wouldn't want to enter that fray uh, given what happened with Ant-Man. Again, I don't know anything, but boy, that seems like that would... 
it seems like if you went through that process and came out the other side kind of badly, you would never want to do that again if you had any other options. And Edgar Wright just directed Baby Driver, and I think he's got lots of other options. But <laughs> mm-hmm. but a very talented guy. And that's, the, the, I think, not to get big picture again, but like this is the challenge if you're running Marvel or Star Wars or any of these other groups that are trying to do cinematic universes, is how do you get good, talented people, writer, director, people, who are... You know, do you want to be satisfied with kind of like the mid-level talent who they can't call their own shots and they will take your money and do what you want? Or does that lead to mediocrity? Or do you want to be challenged by somebody who's got more of a vision because you might not like their vision and you might have a falling out? And this is obviously the clash that's happening now with a lot of these different directors. Well, it's like, you know, when when uh, Rogue One came out and... I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I'm not watching a Gareth Edwards movie. I'm watching a Star Wars movie. There is nothing about that movie that feels like anything else he's directed. There is nothing about that movie that stands out going, hey, it's a Gareth Edwards film, right? They don't need the name. We're not going for the name. We're not going for the auteur. Mm -hmm. We're not going for any of that. You know, you could have the greatest director in the world. Doesn't matter. It's a Star Wars film. I want to see a Star Wars film, right? So. You know, me, myself, I would like to see any of these directors, um, but you don't need them. One one of my potential crazy picks that I'm not going to do as a crazy pick was just let Kathleen Kennedy do it herself. We've <laughs> seen her right. name on just all of these films for decades. Oh, my just God. Just do it. Eliminate the middleman. Just do right. it yourself, Kathy Kennedy. It does always work good when you have the person in charge make it with nobody to talk back to them, though. That I feel like yeah. that usually goes well. <laughs> Especially with Star Wars, that's never been yeah, bad. That's never gone bad. So I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna close out the first round with something that is. I'm not sure where this fits in our categorization scheme because I think you mean the categorization. I, I know, scheme. but again, but I, I'm not gonna hold myself to them. Um, I, I'm just not sure where it goes. I think it fits, and it may fit in in three of the four categories um, because they're alive. So uh, it, it, it's probably not impossible. But I think I think you'd get a really good movie. Potentially, I think they're very capable of doing it. I also think it's impossible because um, the directors won't want to do it and they won't want to, the, the Lucasfilm won't want to hire them. But I'm going to put it out there. You know who might make a really awesome oh, Star Wars I, movie? I, I, I know where you're going. Uh, I think I got it. Uh-oh. The Wachowskis. Yep. 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 <laughs> they're on my list. Yep. Right? They're on my extended list. I've just been looking them up on, the, on Wikipedia. I mean, visually inventive. The Matrix is great. The Matrix sequels weren't that amazing, although they've got incredible technical things going on. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stick up for the first half of the Matrix Reloaded and then not, I, then I'm out. Um, the, uh, you know, people didn't, didn't love, uh, uh, some of their later work, but it's got cult following and some people really like it. And certainly the visuals and their interest in this kind of material is, has always been there. And I, fa- I, I wonder what it would be like if they came in and said, you know what? Yeah, we, let's bring some of our sensibility in, but it's your playground and we're going to, we're going to play around in it. But we know that there are some limitations on us. I think maybe with some limitations, um, they could make something that was really good and had some flair without it being too far away from what the studio wants. And I think that might be an interesting combination. Again, I suspect that everybody involved would never do it, but I think it actually could be kind of good if the if the Wachowskis would uh, make a Star Wars movie. I think that I, I, I'm kind of when I thought of them, I was like, oh, my God, that actually would be fun. And honestly, some of their best work is when they've had restraints on them, yeah. when they've not had a big budget, when they've not had, you know. This or that. I was just going to say that. And, and with regards to restraints, uh, I don't think it's, it, certainly it is the 
the studio system and and imposing uh, a lingua franca of Star Wars. But I think a lot of these directors also have a reverence for the subject matter and for the you know for the visual style of it. And while not aping it, I, I think people want to fit within that greater world and narrative naturally. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's almost like, okay, you get a chance to paint like one of the great painters. Well, you want to mimic it a little bit, like do your own thing, but keep within the uh, the, the broad structure of the, of the work. It's Simpsons fans becoming Simpsons writers. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. Sure. All, all, yeah. all of these okay. things. I mean, the Muppets, the Muppets are basically fan fiction now. Yeah. Uh, all of these things that Doctor they Who live is entirely enough, written Who. by fa- fan fiction. Star Trek yeah. Discovery James is Bond, written by fans. Yeah, yeah. Sherlock Holmes. I mean, all yeah. of the great yeah, things. Yeah, those are the only phases. It's like the people who've never heard of the show before or the fans. I feel yeah. like that covers like your big spectrum there. <laughs> now, Star Wars is not generally one of those franchises where it's like, what? Star Wars? Whatever. I doubt you could give... Uh, episode nine to the Wachowskis and get speed racer i just don't think it would happen <laughs> i think naturally. I, exactly and, and i've heard people swear by speed racer i need to go check it out yeah. again it's visually stunning but it uh, it seemed a bit too much to me it's not but, awful it's not great but it's not awful yeah but either no, way i just great. don't think that they would do that with it i think they would choose to do something even just without any constraints they would choose to do something in the, the vein that of previous star wars i i think on the uh, on the opposite side of that um restraints coin is dan Harmon, who uh in my opinion his best work was community when he had nbc telling him no you can't do this and he thrived in that setting and once he left nbc to do things like rick and morty Harmon quest etc i haven't liked his work as much because yeah. he hasn't had anybody to tell him no um, i mean yep. george and, lucas again right george lucas i was exactly. go- i was gonna say uh that's the case mm-hmm. i think with um with the first batman movie where tim Burton had, had was being watched carefully, oh, yeah. and then they made then he made Batman Returns, which some people like. I don't understand why, because I think it's terrible. But <laughs> I have a soft spot. Yeah. I really do have a soft spot. I know you guys covered it recently. Penguins with the rockets on their backs—that's awesome. Come like on. it or not, I think you would definitely point out that the first one is sort of Burton under some constraints, which is interesting. And then the second one—it's just a Tim Burton movie. It's like I, I it's totally agree with you. I, totally agree. I, I turned into a fan that yells at this podcast for a second right. but no I there's an unjustly totally maligned episode for you yeah. about yeah uh, okay, about that sure. movie <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the incomparable brought to you in part by casper look i've told you about casper before i sleep on a casper mattress every night and i love it and it is vastly superior to the mattress that i slept on before which as i said before was kind of like a trampoline and would eject my cat from the bed whenever i sat down on it It was not good this one so much better it's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price it's made with supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface it's got just the right sink just the right bounce what that means you've heard that phrase before what that means is that it feels good to sit down on it it feels good to lay down on it it's got bounce it's got movability you can move around on it but it's also sinking down a little bit so it's it's soft enough that you feel comfortable it's not like sleeping on a hard floor it's a great combination and the best part about casper let's be let's be clear about this if you haven't tried a casper you should because you can try it for a hundred nights risk-free in your own home so if you're afraid about having somebody send you a mattress across you know the internet basically guess what don't be afraid. If you don't like it, they'll take it away. They'll pick it up. They'll refund you everything. They know you need to sleep on it. You Literally, that phrase is not a joke. You need to sleep on it for 
a month or two or three, and it's fine. And if you decide it's not for you, they will take it away. There's free shipping and returns in both the U.S. and Canada. There are more than 20,000 reviews of Casper mattresses online, and the average rating, 4.8 stars out of 5. So how could you not say this is the Internet's favorite mattress? Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash snell and using offer code SNELL, you remember my last name? Spell it correctly. $50 back toward any mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to Casper for giving me a good night's sleep every night and for sponsoring The Incomparable. Okay, let's go on to the second round of directors, and we'll start with Robo Serenity Caldwell. I'm reaching up north a little bit. I'm reaching to the, the wilds of Vancouver uh, for Michelle McLaren, yeah! who Ooh, uh, my list is too. a TV director. First and foremost, um, and a producer. Um, she, if you don't know who Michelle McLaren is, um, I think that's just a, a lack of name recognition because she's worked on shows that you probably know very well, including The X Files, Walking Dead, Westworld, Game of Thrones, um, and she won two Emmy Awards in simultaneous years for producing Breaking Bad. Um, so, Michelle McLaren. I really like as a pick for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, again, talking about the institutional knowledge, she has a good connection with Ryan Johnson. Ryan, of course, directed some of the episodes of Breaking Bad. Um, and then as a producer for Breaking Bad, she had interactions with him. Um, so she already has a foot in the door from the from the networking perspective. Uh, but, oh, my gosh, her her directorial episodes of things like Westworld, things like Game of Thrones, uh, you know, uh, things like The Walking Dead, even though The Walking Dead is not necessarily the the best narrative show. Um, she does some really, really smart work, you know, um, basically making, at least making the show interesting. Um, and she did it, of course, during its earlier years, not, not, you know, 20, <laughs> 2010, 2014 years of Walking Dead, not, uh, not so much earlier. Um, but it's the, it's the Breaking Bad stuff that, again, I keep going back to because that's a, that is a show, again, we keep on going back to character. That is a show that is primarily about people, uh, where fantastical things, in this case, you know, uh, explosions, not so much starships, fantastical things happen to ordinary people, turning them into extraordinary people. And she's, I mean, she worked on Breaking Bad basically from its, from its inception to, to its closing, uh, she knows how to put a story together and really, you know, make it something special. And she's also has the genre work. Um, the other thing to note about Michelle McLaren is that she was the first director on wonder woman and left the project uh, due to creative differences, uh, which is interesting. Uh, sometimes leaving a, you don't necessarily want to hire a director who's already left a project due to creative differences. Uh, cause that might set up, uh, you know, depending on why she left the project, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, in this case, I'm really glad she left the project because it opened the door for Patty Jenks. Uh, but I will say that her talent is clear. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to guess it was, is probably a concern. I mean, I've, I can't actually guess because I I know nothing about what happened on the back the back set of Wonder Woman. Where's Moises when you need him? Um, but she um, I I can see how she might want to take she might have wanted to have taken Wonder Woman in a different direction. Um, she did help develop the script for Wonder Woman, which is worth noting. Um, she's directing David Simon's new HBO pro- drama, The Deuce. 
Uh, so she does have some, and she has uh, Kristen Hanna's novel, The Nightingale, on her plate as well. So she might be a little backed up for Star Wars. But again, none of those uh, none of those projects seem impossible to put off or move around. Uh, maybe David Simon, because David Simon waits for no no man, uh, but or woman. Uh, but I I think she would be an excellent choice, and I'm really excited at the prospect of uh, at least having her name on the short list. Breaking Bad is kind of a, a nice stepping stone to directing a Star Wars film. <laughs> Just look at Ryan Johnson. There you go. Oh, yeah, I mean, it is a good stepping stone. Although Ryan Johnson has a ton of features a bunch behind of features, his back. Yeah. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson was drafted in a uh, in a an incomparable movie draft at one point. That's how long uh, yeah, he's been. Uh, we've been doing this, and he's been making movies. The Bl- yeah. Brothers Bloom, yeah. I think, and Brothers uh, Bloom, Looper, yeah, um, Brick, Looper, Brick. Yeah, exactly. Are we are so, we taking him out of the draft as? Because no, no. Ryan Johnson's still on the board, and he's actually on my list, so he's definitely yeah, a, a, a safe yeah, selection. Okay. He just seemed like a bit of a gimme. He's like he's Skeletor. Everybody's category. got Skeletor, right? <laughs> All right, second robot now. Uh, robot Monty, what's your next pick? My clever pick, although... Personally, I think all of my picks are very clever. I'm very impressed with myself, you guys. Is Lynn Shelton. Uh, she directed Hump Day. She's a director from Seattle, I believe. Uh, lately, she's been directing a lot of Netflix shows. She directed some episodes of Glow, some episodes of Love, some episodes of Master of None. She also uh, directed an episode of The Good Place for NBC. Uh, she's really good. And... You know, Colin Trevorrow got episode nine basically on the strength of safety not guaranteed. As long as we're giving movies like this to people who direct talky indie movies, why not Lynn Shelton instead? Everybody likes her. Okay, another Robo Monty pick is in the books. Now let's move on. Dan, what's your next selection? I'm going. It's Ryan Johnson. S- no. Yeah, I seriously consider that he was in the top of my safe list, but I'm going to go a different direction for my safe list because this is just someone who I'd like to see it, and I believe he was p- potentially, it was rumored he was up for the job on the Han Solo movie, and that is Joe Johnston, who directed uh, The Rocketeer, uh, Captain, Captain America, America, First Avenger. Rocketeer? Um, I Never believe, heard of it. yeah, it's a small movie. It's a little cult movie. I believe he also worked, if I'm not mistaken, on um, Indiana Jones. Uh, I think he was a, um, yeah, he was an art director. So he's been, I mean, he's been in the Lucasfilm family. He's a long time effects guy. He's, yeah, he's he been did, around forever. He was yeah. the art director for Empire and Raiders and Jedi. I mean, like, he was, he's worked in, in Lucasfilm forever. He has directed some great movies over the years. Um, and I think he would just bring a really, like he'd be very professional. I think he'd bring a great tone to it. Uh, his movies are just a lot of fun, and overall, I really think that's what's needed in a in a Star Wars movie. And Force Awakens really succeeded in that, uh, and so I'd like to see that continued. So it's definitely on the on the safer side for a pick. He's not going to rock any boats, probably. But um, you know, if you want the movie done and you want it done right, I feel like he could be your guy. I agree. I also would kind of be surprised if he wasn't already involved in some way. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's probably Just behind the scenes. Or, yeah, like, I'm, I promise you, he's seen all the sketches and the the work and the the art direction and stuff. But why hasn't he showed us, guy? That's just what I'm asking. Because he's a professional, Dan. Ah, you're right. <laughs> That's why I picked him. Hang on, let me check my iMessage conversation with him. Uh, oh, yeah, no, there are some of these sketches. They're great. Oh, cool. <laughs> Say hi to Joey for me. I forgot he had made. Um, I, you know what? This is a movie. It's not a great movie, but it was better than I thought. I forgot he had made Hidalgo, the Vigo Mortensen oh, yeah, yeah. horse racing movie. Yep. That's actually a pretty solid movie. It is. It is. And and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Hmm. Yeah. That's a that's a fine family adventure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he came into it from the effects angle of side. Right. right. The right. effects side of stuff. So. All right, Makes guy. Yeah. What's your next pick? Ooh. Okay. Do we want like a safe one? Or you do you can, want like you, another one? It's all up to you. I'm not keeping score anymore. Okay. So I win. You, you can how go about... safe or weird or <laughs> impossible, whatever. Okay. How about uh, Nicholas Renf? Reffen. Very Reffen. <laughs> Winding Reffen. Winding, Winding Reffen. Yeah, Winding Reffen. Winding. The director Winding. of Drive and Bronson and uh, uh, Only God Forgives. Neon Demon, which is almost unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, that one's a bit too much, I gotta say. <laughs> Only God Forgives is a bit too much. But I thought Drive really captured a uh, a specific time and place and used color well, used framing well. Uh, the pacing was good. Would trust his directing more with a good, strong writer rather than him doing the tag team on it. But I think visually, uh, he could do some pretty incredible stuff that still fit within a certain time and space that we sort of associate with Star Wars. My favorite uh, Nicholas Winding reference story is uh, he had entire scenes of dialogue written between Ryan Gosling and his co-stars in Drive, but on set just kind of said, you know what? You know what the scene is? Let's do like half of the lines and linger on your looks at each other for a while to convey the same thing. Let's do that instead. And you're right. His visual style is beautiful. But I'm thinking back to uh, the scene on, I can't remember the name, Rainy Planet in Rogue One when uh, yes. Mads Mikkelsen, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, I think back to that scene and all the narrative dump that needs to happen there and all throughout Star Wars, if everything's going to be MCU style, connecting together, establish everything perfectly throughout five different movies to have a payoff in the sixth. He can't do that. <laughs> he simply cannot no. do that. <laughs> no, he can't. That, that's why I said pair him with another writer. Also, he was kind of on my ridiculous side of things. Mm. But <laughs> visually, uh, I would love to, I mean, wouldn't you love to see like a 15 minute short directed by him set in the star wars world with <laughs> jedis doing their thing i think it'd be pretty awesome all right he's on the board i've never seen anything by him but um <laughs> so i guess now i'm losing he's since danish. we're not keeping score right jason yeah he's no danish, no you know yeah. you're winning guy I, okay. I don't know. uh david what do you have <laughs> well i i would have picked Taika Watiti, except he, yeah. he tweeted today that uh, he wouldn't ever do it because he actually likes to finish the films he starts. Ouch. So he was on my I list like as well. He was on my list like too. That. I didn't see his so, tweet. Yeah. But I so did my see actual, his tweet. Yeah. My actual pick instead, uh, also someone uh, familiar with working at Disney, uh, although his last big live action film did not do as well as they had hoped, uh, Andrew Stanton. Uh, oh, he's hmm. from Pixar. Oh. Uh, yeah, John, and John he, Carter, right? right? He directed John Carter, which is, <laughs> it needed a lot of help, but they gave him his head. They, you know, he, he did not, he, he kind of went off and did it. And, uh, it is a very unwieldy film, but it has some nice moments. Uh, I think with a team running it with him, like, like, Kathy Kennedy and all, uh, I think he could do a really good job with it because he he's got the the style, he's got the the pulp adventure feel. Um, he know he's and he's and he's got that basis in the the same kind of pulp action adventure heroes that that inspired the whole thing in the first place. Yeah, if I if I recall correctly, he was 
really committed to that movie. He loved oh yeah, it, he but, he was a yeah. huge John Carter fan, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's admirable. That's really cool. He I mean, knows how you know. to work in a in a in a uh, Disney owned story group as well, which is there's something yeah. to be said for that. All right, uh, Brian, what do you have? Uh, hmm. Or should I Which say, do who I do? do you have since we're drafting humans? <laughs> we're drafting real-life oh humans. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, I think, uh, okay, I'm going to do the weird one because I have a point about uh, something okay, Syracuse do the weird one, ago. do it. Um, <laughs> this is still relatively plausible, but still kind of weird. Uh, on, I think, the Force Awakens anticipation episode from uh, 2015, Syracuse mentioned, let's make all different kinds of movies in the Star Wars universe. Let's make a Western, let's make a horror movie, let's make a small, talky indie movie. So... Uh, him saying, let's make a Star Wars horror movie has haunted me for years. And at the helm of some weird direction of episode nine, where it can be small, intense and extreme and bloody and violent. I want Jeremy Solonier of uh, Green Room and Blue Ruin fame to direct and write it. Uh, he has made uh, some of my favorite movies I've seen in a while that are intense while not be they're they're not going to keep you up at night. You're not going to be scared of the boogeyman after watching these movies, which is to me an important uh an important metric for whether or not I can watch a horror movie with somebody, whether or not it's going to be like, ah, this isn't going to traumatize me, is it? No. Uh they are small, creepy, intense and relatively bloody. Uh for me, I want in the Star Wars universe say on the Death Star like not quite a torture chamber. I, I don't want this to be a Saw movie, but I want it to be like people trying to uh, f- go against their worst base instincts to try to survive and get out of some situation. His most recent movie, Green Room, from a year or two ago, is about um, a punk band that is uh, that is trapped in a Nazi bar after playing a show, and they need to get out. And <laughs> it's the simplest premise ever, but I feel like in the Star Wars universe, that is something that could, you know, exist. There is room for these kinds of stories to be told and these kinds of uh, these kinds of characters to have their day in the sun. If they could do a war movie with Rogue One and have all the trappings of, you know, being taken away from home and having to come back to that home and reconcile things with your family to figure out uh, how the Empire can uh, can impact your lives and also everything else in the galaxy. I think that there is space for something even smaller, a 10 Cloverfield Lane style character study set on Tatooine. Okay, that's not episode nine, so you're cheating, but it's okay. <laughs> you're just kidding. These are all good names, Brian. Just get, get them out now. Get them out now. It'll be like you'll refer him for episode nine. He'll interview for episode nine. And he won't get it, but they'll be like, but I like your moxie kid. Maybe we got something else for you. Why don't you direct this movie which tells of Jabba the Hutt's origin why, story? Why don't you get in this latex bodysuit and play <laughs> Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> we won't film it. But it'll be that, funny. That sounds um, like my honeymoon. <laughs> all right. I am going to go next. I am going to make a... Um, boy, there's so many choices here. There's so many I good know, choices. There are so many choices. I am going to... Because there's so many people who work in Hollywood. Uh, I'm going to go with my... Um, actually, I think safe selection, which is Catherine Bigelow. Oh, director yeah. of Zero Dark Thirty. She <laughs> yeah. just directed Detroit, which a lot of people had problems with. She knows. Here's the thing about Catherine Bigelow. She knows about special effects movies. She knows about big uh, action movies. She knows how to get 
a big Hollywood uh, budget movie put together. And I don't mean to suggest that she isn't uh, artful in her direction. I think Zero Dark Thirty is a pretty amazing movie. But um, but she also, you know, it's not just about the art, right? It's also about the technical aspects of it. And she's proven that she can do both. And she's won Oscars for it. And, you know, I maybe after Detroit, there is something to be said for having uh, Lucasfilm back up a truck of money to her house and say, why don't you spend the next year and a half or two years making Star Wars Episode Nine? So I think it's a safe choice. But, um, you know, that's one of the things that I wanted to pick was a safe choice. So I'm going to say Catherine Bigelow. I think she's a, a clear big name action director who is sitting right out there. And, and I, I'd like I to would see love her. to see that movie. I'd like to see her make a better science fiction action film than, than her James C- Cameron. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I won't. That, mm-hmm. Not hard. Hard. All she has to do is take the job. <laughs> yep. Oh god, that's, I, yeah. that's that'll be brutal. <laughs> I thought about Cameron. I'm like, no, I don't. I just don't like him enough. He's got to make the next 90 list. Avatar movies that nobody wants yeah. to see. So yeah, have fun. All right, we're back around to the Robo Pickers. Serenity Caldwell, what's your next selection? All right, so my next pick is Reed Morano, um, who you probably chiefly remember as a cinematographer. Uh, she's been doing a lot of cinematography uh, since she graduated from Tisch, uh, including she was the cinematographer on Frozen River. She's the cinematographer on a million other really, uh, really well done Sundance uh, Sundance previewed films. Uh, but my major reason for picking her, aside from the fact that she has an excellent eye, is uh, her work on The Handmaid's Tale earlier this year. She was the director for the first three episodes, um, including some of the most horrifying imagery I've ever seen on screen. Uh, and what I really like about her as a director, aside from the fact that she is up and coming, she is she's definitely new. Um, and this is something where I think if if Lucasfilm wanted to go with more of an unknown director, they already have Ryan Johnson on the payroll essentially for their story group. And I would actually really like to see, um, Ryan Johnson take on a little bit of a mentor role for, uh, for if they choose to go the route of, of getting a newer, a newer, uh, director, he, you know, he has come up through the indie world and made the transition. What looks like we'll see for sure in December, but what looks like flawlessly. Um, and I, I would really love to see Lucasfilm use that institutional knowledge, um, to help, you know, also grow new, amazing directors that no one's ever heard of before. Um, and Reed Morano is one of those people. Uh, she's her eye, as I said, her eye is spectacular. When you are a cinematographer for over a decade, uh, it's how you know exactly what to frame and, uh, <laughs> and what is going to really pop on screen. And her use of color is just spectacular. Um, she clearly knows how to make episodes uh, and and pacing flow as we've seen in the Handmaid's Tale episodes and work that she's done. Um, she as I said she has she doesn't have a lot of film experience from the directorial side, but as a cinematographer, she's basically been you know the director's right hand man or woman in this case in many cases. Um, and she she understands how a film set is supposed to work. She understands the flow and the pacing, but she also clearly understands how to work with actors. Um, and as I said, that's my, that's my number one, uh, my number one concern for finding a director for Star Wars episode nine is you have to keep the human, you have to keep the humanist aspect of the, of the show. Uh, and if you don't have that, then you, you don't have anything. 
All right, moving on, Robo Monty. My ridiculous pick, and I will concede that some of my other picks are also ridiculous, is Luc Besson. Picture this. We combine the visual inspiration of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets and The Fifth Element with the gleeful wackiness of Lucy and The Fifth Element. I mean, mostly I just want to see what happens with somebody who purposely veers off of what people are expecting, because I feel like... Once you get to episode nine, you're probably kind of in a groove of Star Wars movies. And Luke Bassan will not do what you're expecting. As a bonus, remember early in his career, he did Leon the Professional and La Femme Nikita. So he can do action movies. And yes, he can do movies that make sense if that's what you insist on having. Okay, thank you, Monty. That would definitely be an interesting movie. Now, moving on. Dan, what's your selection? All right, all right, all right. I'm going... I- Oh, man. I love so many of the picks on my ridiculous list. And this one is at least plausible, not impossible, um, but it will never happen. And that is uh, a very talented director who has been around and working for ooh, three, four decades now, uh, who I think would bring a very uh, different look at the Star Wars universe. Uh, but I think one that, you know, might be a welcome change. And that is Spike Lee. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> He was on my extended list. You know what? Spike Lee, obviously, he's most well-known for doing stuff like uh, Do the Right Thing and uh, Jungle Fever, that kind of stuff. But I feel like he has, like, he's ventured into genre territory. I'm thinking particularly my favorite movie of his that I've seen is Inside Man. Inside Man Man is so good. What a great movie. What a great great movie. He has shown he is very capable of doing, like like, a taut, suspenseful movie that's just very, um, you know, sort of... Uh, adherent to a genre he doesn't do a lot of that um but i think when he does it it, it goes interestingly oh man it's hard to get more taught than do the right thing well, that's true sure 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 <laughs> yeah i mean like but like certainly he doesn't but, but do the big clockwork s- genre yes yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I know where you're going man. with it but he yeah. doesn't do a lot of like um big like special effects stuff like that's perhaps is the, the biggest sort of downside you know i feel like is he's not like a a genre like a sci-fi genre director um but you know he's certainly capable of there's no reason he couldn't do it um it's just a question of whether he'd want to um but i think especially you know given that we do have a franchise uh with a person of color in a main role uh and that we are expand like you know they've they've expanded the the roster a little bit going into the next couple movies i think it would be a very interesting and very different take on things um so yeah that's that's my ridiculous pick that's pretty awesome. I like that. I like that pick a lot. I love. I like that pick. That that would be very, very interesting. Hey, Spike, uh, lunch with uh, Kathy Kennedy. We'll see what happens. Yeah, for extra bonus points, I wanted to do a uh, a two director combo with him and Ang Lee, and that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> well, you've got the Coens, you've got the Wachowski. It's two, interla- it's, it's two, inter- two interlacing <laughs> stories. One directed by Spike and one directed by Ang. That's great. That's right. yeah, I would pay to watch that. I really would. I, I want to yes. see that. It stars Bruce yeah. Lee and Christopher Lee. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's about as likely. <laughs> the female roles are Janet well, Lee and CGI. Vivian Lee, so yeah. you're good. It's awesome. Guy, what's your pick? Uh, Ryan Coogler. Oh, he was on my oh, list. Oh, nice. Nice, uh, pick. nice yeah. pick. Well, I picked him because uh, I kind of knew where you are going with that. But uh, Creed. <laughs> yeah. Creed and Black Panther looks... Well, Black Panther's got like a lot of great buzz around it already. Yeah. yeah. And Creed Fru- was great. Fruitvale Fru- 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 Station is a Fru- good, Fru- good Station movie, too. Fruitvale Station was yeah. brilliant. Like, the guy is yeah. just amazing. 
He can do action movies. Uh, he's already in the uh, the Disney family. Right. Doing yeah. Black Panther. Uh, I think he'd kill it. I think he'd do an amazing job. Yeah, he was high up on my list, too. And then they just got to find a place to uh, to uh, cast uh, Michael B. Jordan. Just got to get him in there yeah. somewhere. Oh, man. <laughs> I yeah. love Michael B. Jordan. So he's, put him so, he's, he's so great. Yeah. I would let he needs to be. Yeah, he needs to be in a. Oh, well, I was going to say he needs to be in a good superhero movie because he was in that awful Fantastic Four movie. But he was in a good superhero movie because he was in Chronicle, which is a good mm. superhero oh, yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah hey, they should get the director of that one. Hmm, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. That was a veiled joke. <laughs> that was. That was. That's, that, that, that hurts. It, it hurts. <laughs> That sometimes it doesn't work out, you know. Sometimes these director yeah. choices they're they're harder than they look. People, we were just sitting here making director choices, but true. Hmm, yeah. Sometimes they don't work because I would have looked at Chronicle and said that would make a great uh, uh, superhero movie director. Mm, it didn't happen. Anyway, uh, Ryan Coogler, I think that's a great choice. Well yeah. done, guy. Good. Thank you. You're winning again. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Woo, yeah, uh, David. So, so I was looking at Twitter earlier. And uh, saw a, a thing, you know, hey, Joss Whedon is hired to do episode nine. And and I thought, I'm going to click on this because I haven't seen this anywhere else. And sure enough, I had another idea. And so this would be really ridiculous. The link led right to Rick Astley. But I was like, no, 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 no. He's not a director. Um, <laughs> he's no stranger so, to so love, a, though, David. He is no stranger to love. And he's never going to give you up. No. But um, for my ridiculous pick, slightly less ridiculous than that. Uh, I am thinking of someone who has experience directing Star Trek and several different types of Star Trek. And uh, he knows a guy who's working on uh, Star Wars films right now. Uh, I, I, I have to think he picked up some tricks and tips when they worked together on Happy Days. Anson Williams. <laughs> Anson Williams. See, is not I mean, a bad director. I, I was going to suggest Henry Winkler um, because, you know, they already got Ron, Ron Howard and you went for Anson Williams instead. So, OK. Well, because he's got he's got the credits. He's, that's what he does now. And uh, and uh, in, in the case of several of their directors uh, who have been fired and and thus choked, uh, Anson Williams's uncle is the Heimlich who invented the Heimlich maneuver. So. You know, he he serves multiple purposes. That I I don't know whether that's your ridiculous or your impossible. It could be either. It's a little of both, yeah, and a little clever. Not at all. Safe. It, it is funny that I was also running through the Happy Days cast <laughs> to see who, after Ron Howard, who could be next on the list. Um, yeah, Henry's so a sure. producer. He's not. He's he's the only other director in there. Yeah, sure. I mean, you could get Donnie Most. I mean, what is he doing? Right what is now? I don't know. Um, good Donnie Most reference. That's the best. That is, I, I think maybe the first time we Thank mentioned you. Donnie Most on the Incomparable. It's far. It's it, it's it's a, a real cry and shame because Donnie Most. That is a go-to comedy reference. Okay, Brian Hamilton doesn't know who any of these people are, and he's never seen Happy Days. <laughs> Brian, what uh, what is your selection? Monday, Tuesday, Happy Days. Oh, look at you! Wednesday, Thursday, Happy TV Days. Land. You saw that on YouTube. <laughs> I'm filthy millennial. See, uh, see, millenniums are ruining YouTube. Okay. Star Wars is making Disney oodles and oodles of money. And, you know, you can take all that money and put it right back into the production of movies and make some really great movies for some admittedly high budgets. But what if, hear me out, what if you wanted to make one of these Star Wars movies for only $8,000? Ah. And you hired Shane Carruth Shane of Primer and Upstream Color to kind of bang out a, primer, by uh, the a way. tiny... 
No, no, not this again. <laughs> I, I would like I, to leave now. I figured Jason was going to pick him. It's okay, Jason. Yeah. Shane Carruth, he can make a movie for $8,000. He can. He can. You know, Robert Rodriguez can make one for $7,000. <laughs> Kevin Smith would probably just, you know, mortgage his house and... No, that's that's pretty funny. What would Shane Carruth do if he was given a budget? I'm not quite sure. He might run away. He might just <laughs> well, upstream color. His his visual language really developed in Upstream Color, which is his second yeah. movie. I didn't like it quite as much, but at the very least, he got the visuals down. If he can have someone else write the script for him and uh, get at least some kind of competent backbone, because Upstream, I, I actually Glenning time. I saw Upstream Color with him in attendance, and I asked at the Q and A after. So what? Uh, why did you throw Walden in? The because all the characters, for some reason, have a copy of Walden on yes, them in the movie. Yes, they do. Uh, what, um, when did Walden show up for you in the writing of the script? And he said, oh, I just kind of thought about it one day and threw it in. Yeah. Really? Nothing else? Nope. That, That's the power He of needs a bit more backbone than usual. But power, I feel like he creativity. could maybe do it. On the plus side, it would be incomprehensible. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I, I, I like Upstream Color. It's not as good as, as Primer, but it, it's it's good and super weird, super weird movie. Um, that wasn't my uh, ridiculous pick, by the way. Okay. What? Which one was that? Was that your impossible? Okay, so we have ridiculous and then impossible. Okay, so that was my ridiculous. I have an impossible okay. coming. All right, that's good. It might also be safe, but it's it's also it's also a little bit clever. Um. Which is uh, Dennis Villeneuve, who directed Arrival and is directing the Blade oh. Runner sequel. Yeah. Um, okay. Arri- He's a good Montreal boy. Arrival was my favorite movie of last year. Uh, yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. all of his movies are visually fascinating. And Blade Runner, like, what a great choice to have him direct a Blade Runner movie, given how interesting oh, his movies look, stunning. right? Yeah. Um. And so I, I, I'm like going with a hot hand, like that guy has directed a bunch of science fiction movies with big budgets that looked great and people liked. So get him in the door and pay him a lot of money to direct your episode nine. And I bet he would do a good job. And, um, you know, it, it's I'm not sure that he's the right choice for it, but uh, I think he might be a good choice. So I'm going to throw him out there. Uh, yeah, I actually love that line of thinking. Well, first of all, he's a local boy, so I got to support him. It's good. But, uh uh, the idea that you don't know if he's the right choice, but it may be a, like an interesting choice. I think that's, that's the kind of gamble you want, right? Like if he nails it, it'll be amazing. And if he just does an okay job, probably still pretty good. Yeah. But it, I think it's worth gambling. Sometimes I think that the, the goal, the, the job is basically to do an okay job. Sometimes I do believe that that's where a lot of these yeah. relationships break down is that the directors are trying to do an amazing job and the studios yeah. are like, could we make it a little more okay? <laughs> like, just like yeah. back it off a little because, <laughs> you know, this is just a, a summer tentpole movie. We we don't it doesn't need to be super yeah. amazing. And yeah. I think the friction comes in there where the directors are perfectionists and they want complete control yeah. and they want the to kids need touch. a bathroom break between the second yeah. and third act. So stretch <laughs> something, put a monster in there or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so last round, and then we'll 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 generate a whole big list afterward with the Bring Out Your Dead selections, um, which don't have to be dead people; it can be live people. And the Bring Out Your Dead, <laughs> Bring Out Your Live People. That's called kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the next round. Then uh, Robo Serenity is going to pick next, and uh, this is an impossible selection, but I think I like it because it's a deep cut, and that's what we're looking for from the impossible selection crowd. All right, so my final impossible pick is Dorothy Artsner. Um, and if you don't know who Dorothy Artsner is, 
go learn who Dorothy Artsner is. Uh, because I knew vaguely, I, I had a little inclination. I was like, oh, I remember reading about her in film class. This might be a cool pick. And then I dug into it a little bit and I realized, oh, hey, oh, hey, this person is a perfect pick. So um, why is Dorothy Artsner awesome? Why, why would she uh, resurrecting her from the dead and then telling her to go direct a Star Wars movie be great? Well, for one thing, um, she was, uh, as Jason mentioned, she was the first female director in the DGA. She was also one of the first credited editors, period, on, on screen. Um, but she's worked in uh, so many different situations and with so many different people. She was a uh, part of the, the group who kind of made the transition from silent films to talkies, uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, and she basically launched the careers of a bunch of stars, including Catherine Hepburn, uh, which, she um her movie christopher strong which uh it's it's an imperfect movie but i really recommend that people watch it just because it's it is fascinating uh is basically a movie about a about a pilot um who has to choose between love and duty uh and and illicit affairs and it's just a, it's a it's a great character study and also early catherine, Hep- catherine hepburn is great uh but one of the things that i love about artsner is again, the performances that she gets out of her actors. Uh, it was one of the very few times that Catherine Hepburn actually got to play an outright antagonist, right? She's a, she's the homewrecker in the, in Christopher Strong. She, uh, she goes in and she essentially ruins a marriage by being a flashy airline pilot, um, and a racer, you know, a racing pilot and super awesome. Uh, and Dorothy Artsner also is a, is a huge proponent of strong female characters of, uh, women, you know, taking, taking control in, in the industry, um, and on screen. And she's also, uh, she's responsible, uh, more or less for the creation of the boom mic, uh, which is a tidbit I got off of Wikipedia and, and confirmed on a couple other sites, but man, is that cool. So she essentially, she is uh, credited as responsible for creating that because it was going to be more helpful for uh, silent film stars to get comfortable with not uh, <laughs> not having a microphone right up in their face for talkies, uh, it, which is which is pretty cool. But it, to me, it shows that this is a this is somebody who yeah may have been directing in the 1920s and 1930s, uh, but also recognized the the need for technology and innovation. So I kind of feel like. This is this is one director who probably wouldn't blink an eye being brought up into the 21st century where it's just like, oh, we have these tools now. Great. Do they make it easier for our actors? Great. All I care about is the performances and the the core of the story. And that's ultimately where I fall on this on this draft is that it's not, you know, there are plenty of potentially good talented choices. And I applaud Kathleen Kennedy for for doing what she thought was best for the franchise, for for getting the current director off of it for whatever reason that happened behind the scenes. I'm sure we'll hear more later. Um, but I trust in Kathleen Kennedy. I think that she's a really smart producer and she makes great calls. Um, and I mean, she, look at look at the state of her franchises so far. Look at look at the films that she's produced. I think she's very aware of uh, the kind of director that's going to work well in Star Wars and the kind of director that will not, uh, as well as her other her other franchises. Um, and and like I said, there are plenty of great directors, including all the others that my my fellow non robo panelists have named. 
Uh, but ultimately it comes down to what director is going to get the best performances out of the actors um, and bring something special to the screen without necessarily uh, diluting from the power of the Star Wars franchise. That's what made Ryan Johnson such a great pick. He is by and far away a character director. You know, he focuses on getting performances out of people and, working inside the the overall genre. I mean, you can look at Brick, you can look at Looper, you can look at the highly underrated Brothers Bloom to to that extent. And um, all of my picks, I feel like, are in that same vein, where it's just really, really smart character directors who also have a context for working in a larger scale environment. Because that's ultimately what I think was missing with this last pick, uh, is that, you know, (laughs) no... No harm to uh, to Colin Trevorrow, who I still think is very talented, but I think he got lost a little bit in the the grand scale of a movie blockbuster, and maybe got a little bit into his head. And we've seen we've seen some of the reports already coming out about uh, <laughs> you know male directors feeling too big for their uh, their britches and and being a little <laughs> just so about certain things. Um, I don't see Kathleen Kennedy liking that about this this world uh, and trying to get directors that can bring something special and something unique uh, without necessarily uh, disrupting the process. I think I just went on a tangent, so feel free to cut that, Jason. Um, but the long and short of it is, I think that it is past due time for, uh, you know... D- the long and short of it is, yeah, I picked all women um, in part because I think it is far past time for Star Wars to have a female director. Um, with Colin Trevorrow leaving the project, this creates an almost you know perfect on a pedestal opening for Kathleen Kennedy to take a look at the very qualified list of female applicants in this <laughs> in this arena and uh, and make a short list. Because it's one of those things where, again, they have done so much in in the realm of improving women in Star Wars and uh, and giving women, you know, even stronger role models in the form of Rey, in the form of Kelly Tran's upcoming character in Last Jedi. Um, I'm really, really hoping that we can see a female director on this on this ninth project because I think it would be a it would be a huge win. Uh, for the directing community, uh, especially the legion of female directors that we've seen over the years that just haven't gotten the recognition that they deserved. So those are my picks. Thanks for letting me robo-pick Jason and friends. Um, I'm really looking forward to who Kathleen Kennedy selects because I have I have faith in the Kennedy. I have faith in her, in her machinations. And uh, ultimately, as fun as this draft is, I I think that she will do us proud. Thank you very much, Robot Serenity, for all of your picks and joining us remotely for this since you couldn't make it in person. Here is the last pick from Robo Monty. My impossible pick is Ray Harryhausen. Now, I realize he's dead, but basically what I'm suggesting is that we axe all of the CGI in the movie and do it all with cool stop motion animation. It won't look realistic but it'll look cool. And you know what? Star Wars isn't realistic. It could at least be cool. This has been Robo Monty signing off. Beep boop. Thanks, Robo Monty. Dan, what's your choice? 
All right, it's impossible choice time. And so at their heart, you know, Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars franchise is a series of epic movies. So you need an epic director to really do them justice. You're going to totally snipe me here. And my pick is David, David Lean. Lean. Oh. David Lean. That's right. Directed one of my favorite movies of all time, Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Arabia yeah. uh, as well as great other movies like Bridge on the River Kwai, yeah. um, Dr. Zhivago, you know, many, plenty of many fantastic. Many of his films have been, have been quoted or stolen for scenes in Star Wars over the years. Indeed. <laughs> yes. I mean, the man knew how to make just a, a, a larger than life movie. Uh, that's just sort of, you know, you can't watch Lawrence of Arabia and not just like marvel at the scope and size and cinematography of it. It is just a beautiful, beautiful film. And if you've never seen it on the big screen, then you should do so next time it's in your neighborhood because it is just fantastic. Um, he never really did any genre stuff, but I feel like it was also, you know, in an era where genre stuff was all kind of B movie. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity necessarily to go do that. Um, but you know, certainly bridge on the river Kwai has its action oriented moments, even though it is sort of a, a, you know, psychological drama. I don't know at the, at its heart. Uh, and Lawrence of Arabia is just, you know, it's just it, the, the rolling dunes, right? Like you're already ready for Tatooine yep. or whatever. Uh, or Jakku. so I, yeah, Either way. yeah, but I, or Jakku. But I hate, yeah, I, I hate sand. Um, he loves sand and he would yeah. make you love sand. <laughs> it's That's so how silky smooth. And you know what's oh, great man. about sand? It gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. Yeah. That's great. You don't Hooray. have to worry about it. Uh, guy, what, who, who is your next and last official selection in this draft? Yeah, let's go with uh, Brad Bird. All right. Oh, Brad Bird. Oh, nice speaking, speaking of Pixar directors who have done some live action along with some animated. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, I did get the memo, but I still mostly pick people that. That's Even okay. if they were kind of jokes, would still actually, I think, do a pretty decent job doing it. I didn't expect you to follow the rules anyway. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. I just, I, I'm here to win, Jason. I'm just here to win. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol. Pretty good movie. Good movie. It's yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, Iron Giant and The Incredibles. Oh, man. So both good. amazing. Incredibles 2 is in work, in progress right now, so it's probably he can't do this. Ratatouille, again, I loved uh, it's got wet rats I, in know, it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. He's he's a <laughs> awesome old school Pixar guy that's done amazing work. He's in the Disney family. I think he could do a great job on Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, I think that's another inspired choice. Mm, like, excellent choice. Like, I, I, I'm surprised nobody has just said, "Let's just do Episode Nine in animation and have Pixar do it." Uh, you know what? I had a pick Ooh. who who would have done that, mm. but you know, we'll get there. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm bring out the dead left. Uh, David, he's still on the board. I can't resist. I'm going to go for another zombie. Akira Kurosawa. Oh, Kurosawa! You took my Kurosawa pick. But I mean, the Hidden Fortress. That's Star Wars. Star Wars totally is. You know, and you look at the way his, I mean, even his earliest films are amazing, but the way his uh, scale and visual technique grew and grew and grew all the way up to Ron. Ron is gorgeous. Oh, my God. Um, And it's the only version of King Lear I actually like. Um, Yojimbo and all, I mean, just all of these things are just yeah, I, I want to see that Star Wars film. Yeah, right. I mean, in some ways, Star Wars, yeah, a lot of Star Wars owes much to Kurosawa. But uh, yeah, that's why he was yeah. on my list, too. Impossible. Yeah, and Rogue One is the Seven Samurai, yeah, kind of. kind of. 
you know? Uh, Brian. I knew that I had to represent uh, some of my favorite directors, including, uh, uh, but not limited to, Tommy Wiseau, Neil Breen, and Ed Wood. But I'm ultimately in the genre of bad movie, because that's a genre now, I guess. (laughs) I am ultimately going to choose Luigi Cozzi, who created in 1978 the beloved film Star Crash, starring... (laughs) Brian. David Hasselhoff, Brian, Christopher Plummer, Brian, and Joe Spinell. Yes, Brian, yes, get Dan. out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Who invited Brian? There you have my impossible pick, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the director of Star Crash. It's He's- impossible. It, it's impossible because Brian, you never existed. So how would this these picks even ever be made? Oh no! Ah! I've written you out. He basically directed Star Wars already. So why not again? <laughs> oh, it would be perfect. <laughs> wow. Well, well, Sorry. I did ask for ridiculous I'm... and impossible, and that's what I got. Um, so I am, I am tempted to pick the well. David Lean and Akira Kurosawa are off my list now, and they were both on my list. So I'm, I'm down to a, a, a few uh, to choose here. There is um, this man, Senor Jorge Sakul. Is that? <laughs> Is that what? Take off the message. It's George Lucas. No, get out of here. Get out. Out. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone out. Go work on your museum in okay. LA. Go Sorry. get out, you Senor Sakul. Whichever, whichever city it's in this week. And take Spielbergo <laughs> with you when you go. You know what? One day we're going to regret saying that. They're going to be on their deathbed and we're going to be like, oh man, if we'd only had one more movie from these guys. One <laughs> hey, more Star what Wars about movie. The, what about uh, your older friend, the Francis, eh? So instead, I'm going to pick uh, somebody who is in the extended Star Wars family because, of course, uh, connected to George Lucas through her father uh, and say and say uh, imagine much if you will a star wars movie directed by sofia coppola you are stealing <laughs> my dead it's the water of my heart. that it's is also illegal and that is called grave robbing yeah but yeah i would I, uh, honestly i would that, that's a, just a good choice. Uh, she's made some very interesting movies. They are a little bit, uh, a little bit kind of all over the place. But Lost yeah. in Translation, I love. Uh, Bling Ring, interesting. Beguiled. Haven't seen it. Heard mixed reviews of that one. Heard very mixed things. About uh, it. But you know, I think she's an interesting person, and you know, uh, uh, she's, she's, part, good. she's part of the family. Yeah. So uh, that's an impossible choice, but... Uh, but wait, you know she was actually in Phantom Menace, right? Yeah, she's a handmaid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. for sure, because I can't tell any of those characters apart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Natalie wait, Portman. characters in Phantom Menace? One of them's Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, yeah. Sofia Coppola. They all are just weird space geishas. Rose... Um, I don't know. Rose Byrne, too, is in there. No, I would, I would honestly love that movie. I think she would do a fascinating job. I don't know how kinetic... The director she I, is, I don't but know. certainly the uh, the talky bits would yeah. be awesome. <laughs> sets and stuff. Lots of talk, awesome the talky bits. bits. That's the, uh, that's the trade negotiations. Kind. The trade negotiations would be, ta- <laughs> be they would actually amazing. make sense. Finally, yeah. <laughs> let's. Uh, it's time to bring out your dead, uh, Dan. What did you have? Who do you have left? All right. So my safe pick was Joe Johnston. In addition to that, I had Ryan. Uh, Johnson, uh, J.J. Abrams, Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard, and Jodie Foster. Oh, Jodie um, Foster. That's a good one. 
Uh, for my clever pick was Lexi Alexander, and the other ones who were picked from there were Edgar Wright, Taika Waititi, Ryan Coogler, yeah. Patty Jenkins, and Michelle McLaren. I also had Jake Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan's son, uh-huh. oh. um, Antoine Fuqua, uh, Phil Alden Robinson, who directed two of my favorite movies of all time, Field of Dreams and Sneakers. Uh-huh. Uh, Rachel Talalay, I can't know. Rachel Talalay, yeah, she was on Talalay, my list. Yeah. Sorry, she's yep. on my TV list. director, Doctor Who. She's done a bunch of the Berlantiverse stuff. Yeah, she became um, the go-to director for all of the Doctor Who like finales, which are all big, have lots of big action set pieces in them and stuff. And she's be- she's become their go-to director. So that, I thought she was on my list too. John Singleton, nice. Um, yeah. And Chris Christopher McQuarrie, yeah, he of course, was on did my list. Uh, Rogue Nation, which is one of my favorite spy movies of recent years. Uh, my ridiculous list, in addition to Spike Lee, included uh, Shane Black, which is probably not ridiculous. He's probably more in Iron the Man clever Three. Safer. So basically, he Iron Man Three is yeah, yeah. So he's he's gotten a little more industry. He's got an insane collection of Pulp Fiction, like all the the classics. So yeah, yeah he know, yeah. he would no, know I mean, what he's doing. Uh, Paul Fagg. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, Robert Robert oh. Rodriguez, David Mamet. Uh, <laughs> and my last two. Here's my kicker. Here's my kickers for Amazing. my ridiculous rounds. Uh, George Miller. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> who, uh, I think would actually it would just it would look amazing, yeah. right? Uh, and, and he knows Miyaz- from sand Miyazaki. <laughs> sure, Miyazaki. Someone said the animated the version. An- I had, yeah, been, I had him on my list. Anime Star Wars. That'd be awesome. Actually, I have a several uh, the adaptations of the original trilogy in mango form, which are actually look awesome. So I would totally be down for an anime version. Wow. Uh, and then the rest of my impossible list, in addition to David Lean, were. Um, Billy Wilder, <laughs> sure. John Huston, Howard Hawks, George Roy Hill, who directed uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting. And of course, just because I want to know what it would look like, an Alfred Hitchcock Star Wars I movie. thought about Hitchcock, <laughs> too. I don't know what that would be, but it would be weird. It's suspenseful as all get out all right. is the answer. Chekhov's blaster. Guy, who did you have le- uh, left on your list? Oh, man. Okay. Sammy... You stole all my grief. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Dino. It's okay. Uh, I've got, uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to cross off all the ones you just listed. Yeah. Dan, Dan, uh, Dan Duncan just Jones. My whole I had list. Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones. That's a great one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, but, like, I actually believe that despite that he just did a Warcraft movie, whatever. Yeah. The, and Source Code, I think, is actually yeah. a really great movie. So, yeah. The Moon is what makes me think of him. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's, he really is. I'd love to see what he could do. Uh, Nicholas Mayer. Oh. Just mm. because mm-hmm. that's in my yeah. impossible. Sure. <laughs> uh, and Michael Moore. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> oh wow. Uh, oh man. David, bring out your dead. I I won't I won't uh, go through all the reruns because a lot of a lot of my dead have been stolen too. Um, Steven Soderbergh, um, the Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did a whole ooh, we did a whole riff in our that? Slack yeah. about what the yeah. Coen Brothers Star Wars movie would look like. That was uh, we. I mean, that was amazing. mostly me and Monty. Yes. it was just yeah. That was fun. I like the Soderbergh then. That like I feel like I a real totally Ocean's Eleven Star Wars mm-hmm. movie would actually be pretty awesome. Right? Yeah. Um, Ryan Johnson, Orson Welles. That's on the Impossibles, obviously. Uh, Preston Sturgis. <laughs> that would just be fun. Um, Wes Anderson. Yeah, that would be precious. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy Ritchie, because you know Ooh. guys who All are right. pals, but I'd almost rather he just go and make another Man from Uncle movie. Um, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, Rachel Talalay, and uh, but but the real dream, the real impossible, crazy uh, thing, 
the whole team, the writer and the director and the uncredited director of Battle Beyond the Stars, Jimmy Murakami, Roger Corman, and John Sayles. Wow. Wow. Which is also just Seven Samurai in Space 2. Brian, do you have anything left on your list that went unpicked? Uh, I had uh, Christopher Nolan on my list as uh, somebody who, uh, he's in the studio system and he's somebody that can make a damn good movie, but he's not somebody that like a studio can tell him no. Uh, He has his movies all planned out before he even shoots. He doesn't shoot extra. He shoots exactly everything he needs. He would not do well in Star Wars. Uh, uh, (laughs) Aside from that, I had all of the, uh, a whole bunch of blockbuster directors I really enjoyed, like uh, uh Luke Besson, John Woo, uh, George Clooney. I also had George Orson Welles and Hitchcock oh, yeah. on my uh, on my short list, and Terrence Malick because I kind of oh, wanted to see that movie. Ah, that would be about eyes. four hours with three lines of <laughs> yeah. dialogue and vast vistas. Yeah, it's of set on Tatooine. Weaving. It's actually the Obi yeah. Terrence Malick's Obi Wan Kenobi movie, and it's mostly just <laughs> sand blowing around, occasional cactus, <laughs> and then every now and then you you, you cut to. Um, a a wordless Ewan McGregor who's just like sitting somewhere drinking, like having soup. Well, no, he's just he's just looking at the camera, and after about a minute, uh, yeah, and then more sand. And for me, yeah, almost everybody's already been named. Um, uh, I did already mention George, Senor Sakul, George Lucas. Bring him back. He, what's he doing? Uh, uh, somebody, uh, our friend John Gruber, just tweeted, "Why not just give it to Spielberg?" It's like you know, I think Spielberg's got uh, is kind of like engaged in the Indiana Jones part of this business now. I think they're going to do more Indiana Jones movies. So I think he's he's busy with that side of the Lucasfilm business. Also, I got to talk to John about that because Spielberg took over Kubrick's baby. And that did not go so well. No. God, no. I mean, I appreciate it that, that he wanted to do something for his friend, but it, you know, didn't work but out yeah, as I mean, well as you it know, it's, it, he can make a movie. And in, in, oh, in, yeah, in yeah, Reef for sure. Is like, clearly, he's made some very good movies. Yes. He's made some not so great movies. But, you know, with yeah. a, I think his, his hit percentage is still pretty good. I would say, oh, yeah. I would say yeah. what would happen if you took Spielberg and you had him do just essentially a pure work for hire where he couldn't really add as much of his uh, artistry. He was much less invested in the creative side of it and just more in getting the uh, work done. And uh, that's basically Ron Howard, right? So, yeah. Yep. yep. You know, not, to, not to slight Ron Howard, but Ron Howard is sort of like Spielberg with some of the parts disconnected, I feel like. He's got <laughs> a little less heart, yeah. a little more um, Sorry, I'm pic- just the I'm technical. I'm picturing this slight, like, twitching ron howard with like sparks coming out yeah well he's got the spielberg 1.0 brain in there and it's partially disconnected yeah (laughs) at the very least spielberg's artisticness is palatable you know he's not terrence malick making you know vast vistas of random stuff he like his artistry is mainstream artistry and it's great but it's also you know he wouldn't need to tone it down for star wars you know I no, I I agree, and I like Terrence Malick too. By the way, my but. last two bring out your dead picks, um, er, literally with Irvin Kershner, because you know he directed the best yeah. uh, Star bring Wars movie. So why not uh, bring him back to tell him again? Surprise, we brought you forward to the 21st century. You're going to direct a Star Wars movie, and then the other one I'll throw out there is Robert Zemeckis, who has sort of fell down mm. a, a well mm. of CGI movies for a while. Although he did make Flight with Denzel Washington, so um, I think he he right he and he's kind of in the family a little bit, extended yeah. family. Yeah. And uh, he has made some very good movies uh, involving special effects, including Back to the Future, of course, and Contact. Oh, but mm-hmm. 
Sam Raimi. Yeah. Sam Raimi. Okay. Well, I, I was just saying Sam, Sam Raimi. Oh, okay. Nice. We'll put him on the Good list. Choice. Wait, wait, wait. Peter Jackson, but 90s era <laughs> Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's, here's two more. An impossible one. Ken Burns. Oh, okay, and, that's excellent. Good but, choice. Oh my god, it's all just like letters, like from the front, <laughs> like the zoom. Oh, Werner Herzog earlier, which yeah, would be yeah. would be fine. Inside this cave is the tale of the Jedi's of old. <laughs> but here's here's my real dream. Here's what I think would be the best director of Episode Nine. Someone we've never heard of. Yeah, I'd be into that. I, I, I yeah. thought of that, and I unfortunately, while I think someone we've never heard of is a great person to direct a movie and should be given a chance because I think they're going to be great, whoever he or she is. What an interesting name. I think someone we've never heard yeah. of is great. I don't think someone we've never heard of is qualified to direct one of these franchises, because franchise movies, because there's just too much. Like, they need to, they, they, there's too much there for somebody we've never heard of. It really needs to be somebody who has a little bit of a track record who can come well, in I, and do let it. Me, let me, let me correct that. Someone the mass populace hasn't heard of all right okay i was just about to say the other thing about someone we've never heard of is with the internet and tv and the fact that we're all kind of media geeks we've heard of a lot of people at this point right like and now the mainstream media has not heard of a lot of the people we've mentioned probably or the mainstream well and the the funny thing is that that we have mentioned before they got the these the star wars gigs right we mentioned ryan johnson multiple times on this podcast we mentioned colin trevorrow on this podcast because i know i recommended safety not guaranteed at some point because that is a that is a fun movie so I, i think this is the mo of a lot of these studio people too is can we find somebody who is an up up and coming director who directed a a relatively low budget thing that we kind of liked and then maybe give them a chance because they're hungry enough that they'll take the job and we can still like tell them what to do it's fine i'll do it (laughs) all right uh this has been as ridiculous as promised so i'd like to thank my guests for naming people who direct things dan morin thanks for being here may the force be with us jason guy english thank you for being here okay i'm gonna leave you with this Sergio Leone for the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, Leone was almost on my list Solid. at the end. Solid. It's an excellent yeah. choice. Brian Hamilton, thank you. Star Crash. Nothing but Star mm. Crash. David J. Lore, thank you. John Ford. Or William Shatner. No, 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 John Ford. And uh, I thought about Leonard Nimoy, actually, as one of my su- suggestions, too, as an impossible Ooh, choice. But I didn't yeah. Also, of course, thank you to Robo Serenity Caldwell and Robo Monty Ashley. And that's the end of this episode. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>